This is the Manga Mavericks podcast from AllComic.com, episode 122. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton. And I'm Lam Ramiyasha, and today we're covering some recent new Shonen Jump series. We're coming in from the past into the future. Uh, the opposite of Time Paradox Ghost Rider, I suppose. We're talking about stuff that has happened in the past that you are not listening to in the future. Uh, yeah, so we're gonna, we're gonna be talking about the latest, greatest, what we still like to refer to as Jump Starts. We are gonna be talking about such series as Mori King by Tomohiro Hasegawa, uh, along with uh, Bone Collection by Jun Kirarazaka, and then last but not least, Time Paradox Ghost Rider from... Kenji Ichima, and uh, drawn by Sunihiro Date. I might have gotten that mixed up, I'm not sure. No, you're right. Okay. This will probably be a pretty, I don't want to say short episode, but it'll probably be a regular it'll episode. It'll be succinct. Yes, yes, that's that's the best way to put it. But for now, um, even before we get into uh, talking about all the latest new series coming out of Shut to Jump, first things first... By the time this episode is out, patrons at our Patreon at uh, patreon.com slash manga mavericks uh, will be enjoying a new bonus episode of the podcast. For those who don't know, at the $5 tier on our Patreon, patrons will receive a new bonus podcast at the end of every month, guaranteed. I mentioned it on the show previously, but uh, we are taking a small break. A very small break from our Manga Mavericks Book Club series on Saint Seiya, where myself and uh, my good friend Doctor from the Ask Backwards Anime Podcast read through Saint Seiya for the first time. And we're having a lot of fun with that, but uh, for this month, in the month of May, we will be posting a one-off review of Nagata Kabi's My Solo Exchange Diary, in which we brought on a good friend of the show, Erica Friedman who we've had on the show a couple of times before to basically talk about My Solo Exchange Diary as well as just uh, Nagata Kabi's works in general and how we feel about them. I thought it was a very fun discussion. And uh, yeah, I can't wait for all of our patrons to listen. So I'm very excited about that. Definitely. It was a fantastic conversation. And, you know, as Erica discussed on the show, it's great to have conversations about what Kabi has done for the medium of manga for auto bio essay comics graphic medicine manga while she's still in the process of creating a change in waves and so it was a fantastic conversation to discuss like how her work fits into like a changing trend and times in terms of subjects that are now acceptable and now people are comfortable with exploring in manga. So that's really awesome. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, uh, again, by the time this episode is out, that should be available for patrons over at our Patreon, again, at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. As far as what's coming up next, we will be having another kind of one-off review coming up at the end of June. Uh, we'll, we'll talk more about that on a future episode. But basically, we're planning on having Manga Mavericks Book Club come back at the end of July uh, where Doc and I will be covering uh, volumes 7 and 8 of Saint Seiya. So uh, I can't wait to get back on that soon. But uh, 
yeah, hopefully you guys, uh, if you're subscribed to our Patreon, you uh, enjoyed that episode of our bonus podcast. And uh, I hope you'll look forward to our next bonus podcast after that, because uh, I won't say what right now, but uh, I'm very excited to record the next one. But uh, yeah, I think that's enough plugging our stuff at the top of the show. Um, I think we should just get right into talking about these new series. So I think we should start with Maury King first, since that came out first chronologically. And uh, I know, Lum, you kind of talked a little bit about Maury King a couple episodes back. But uh, for those who may not have listened to that episode, what is Maury King by Tomohiro Hasegawa all about? Maury King is about a rhinoceros beetle who ventures out into the world to become the king of insects and takes on a humanoid form. He is basically rescued slash adopted as a pet by two siblings, and they raise him while he's still just in his rhinoceros beetle form for like a couple months, you know, as he's still in a pupa. And when he hatches, you know, he becomes that humanoid form. And the sister, Shoko, is all freaked out about it, but the little boy who really loves Mori King Shota really loves him and is not weirded out at all that he transformed into, like, a naked guy. So, basically, they struggle with, what are they going to keep Mori King, or is Mori King going to have to leave? Ultimately, they adopt him as part of the family. And then the series is about Mori King basically living with the family, well, also in the background, there's a plot about, oh, he has five other insect challengers. Five other insects are also vying for the title of King of Insects. And they probably all have taken on humanoid forms. And we've met one of them already in the fourth chapter, the Praying Mantis girl. And uh, her name is Oka Makiri. But she's kind of like a very shy girl who has kind of gotten herself involved with doing a lot of odd jobs just to make ends meet. So whether or not she'll be a serious challenger for Mori King uh, remains to be a question. But they're already introducing some of these characters. Oh, man. I only got to read the first chapter of Mori King. I'm making the increasingly wrong decision in hindsight to read more of the other series we're going to be talking about. But uh, more on that later. So, Lama, I know you kind of talked about your thoughts on Mori King already. Uh, so I'll go ahead and start us off. Just judging from the first chapter alone, I thought it was I thought it was fun. I liked it enough. I think you made the comparison to Sergeant Frog last time we talked about it. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I could totally see it. Do you remember Spring Weapon Number One? Yeah, this is from the same creator, Spring Weapon Number One. Yeah, and from what I can tell, it's going to follow a similar structure in terms of introducing these other insect king challengers. That's kind of like how Spring Weapon introduced. A bunch of the other robots in that series, too. At least from what I heard from V-Lord, who read more of Spring Weapon. Past the Jumpstart run. It's also very similar in that, like, they're both series where, where you know, the main character's life is upended by some weird other character that mm-hmm. isn't human, and, like, everyone else yeah, kind of accepts it. Yeah, they're just freaking out yeah. about it, while everyone else is, like, totally chill. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know, from what you were saying about... Uh, what happens past the first chapter i'm already pretty interested in like reading the rest of this because like i'm getting very strong vibes that this is going to end up being a battle manga at some point where mori king is going to have to fight against like you just said you know other humanoid insects and i'm kind of all here for it honestly (laughs) 
We'll have to see because, I mean, we already met another challenger and she doesn't really seem to have much battle capabilities, though we haven't really seen her use her insect powers all too much. But I wonder, I think it could stick to a more community group, but sometimes delve into some more serious storylines, perhaps kind of the same balance uh, Mission Yuzakura family has kind of been going with. Okay. But overall, I do really enjoy the comedy in this one. I do find it very amusing. I think the character designs are very cute and fun. And I really enjoy reading this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I'm going to keep up with this too. I mean, unfortunately, I, I don't really feel like I have a lot to say other than... I feel like I have this problem with gag manga a lot where it's like... The only way to kind of talk about it would be to kind of talk about the jokes and like... Sometimes I wonder whether I should do that or not, because it's like, some people don't want to have jokes spoiled for them. In terms of anything that, like, I guess that made me laugh out loud the most, I did like the moment in the very beginning where the sister jumps out the window as as her little brother is just hugging this yeah, giant naked man. <laughs> it's just mm-hmm. a funny image, and then immediately in the next panel, she's in like a split in the cast, and it's pretty great. But yeah, no, I... I wonder how this will do against um, um, Mitama Security, though, from what I've seen about the latest chapter, I wonder if it's possibly going to be ending anytime soon. I hope not. I like Mitama Security a lot. I do but too, we actually. Will see. <laughs> yeah, we will see. I guess it's all going to be luck of the draw. I mean, Mission Yosakura family also had a chapter that seemed like, mm, we might not survive the next round. Let's start doing some end gamey stuff, some plot progression. But maybe it's just kind of a just to be safe tactic. And then if they do get the green light to keep going a little longer, they'll be able to. And that's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping that the timing is just right enough that they won't have to be on their way out. But again, who knows at this point? Yeah, exactly. So overall, you know, Mori King is, it's fun, you know, if if you have any interest in reading it, I'd say at least read the first couple of chapters, see how you feel. Yeah, I think it's doing a good job establishing a lot of different characters. I mean, the jokes, a lot of them are variations on the idea of Mori King does something strange and weird, and then Shoko freaks out, but no one else freaks out. But I think that the dynamic between the characters is a lot of fun. I like the family. I like both the mom and the dad. The dad is very similar to Shoko in that he is also very weirded out by Mori King and doesn't really want him in the house. But because Shoko doesn't like her dad and finds him very annoying and creepy, they couldn't be on the same page to make sure that Mori King didn't stay in the house. That was pretty funny. And the mom is also incredibly upbeat and chill about letting Mori King be in the house and having him do chores for them and stuff. So, yeah, it's a good dynamics there. And I really am interested in seeing how, like, Oka is going to fit into the dynamic because she becomes friends with Shoko. So is Shoko going to be more chill with her, even though now she knows that she's an insect person? And I kind of, I like Oka's character. Like, she thinks that to, you know, survive in the world, to become king she's gotta live as a human and do all these odd jobs just to make ends meet and then she like runs away from a potential confrontation with working because she has to go to her next job it's just a very funny concept for that character too so yeah i think that as the cast continues to expand 
kind of just like with Matama Security, how it started to find footing when more characters got added in. I think yeah. that this has a lot of potential with having more characters, having different types of variations on jokes, and having just characters bounce off of each other. And again, the art is a really strong point. The older characters look very, very cute, and the art is really clean. The gags are really clear. Like, I think it has a lot of uh, strong elements going for it as a comedy. I would agree. I will say, as far as the first chapter goes, I was initially a little disappointed that uh, that Maury King didn't just, like, immediately take out all the other Beatles during the wrestling contest. But also, I realized that wouldn't be very kingly of him. So it makes sense that, you know, the other Beatles would just kind of give up and uh, bow towards their new insect king. Yeah, I thought that was very funny. <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm I'm liking Maury King so far. I'll I'll definitely read it. I'll definitely keep reading it. I mean, it's, it's like you said, like I'm I'm starting to realize I think that's where my interest in these gag series kind of live or die is like how much the cast kind of increases from the start onwards and like mm-hmm. basically the strength of uh the strength of the ensemble cast is basically where my interest in these gag series live or die, because uh, I, I do agree that I think... I think we could say that, like, Mitama, I think, started off okay, but, like, I think got so much better as it went on, and now I'm, I really look forward to reading it week to week. Yeah. And I really hope it doesn't end anytime soon, but it might, I don't know, we'll see. It has really endeared me to its characters... As time has gone on. Oh, for sure. Like Mr. Commentary and Zoibaro. And Shakijiro. And Yuko. Shakijiro is pretty great, yeah. So. I would argue he's the best character in the entire series and makes the manga. very funny, yeah. He makes the manga, like, instantly better every time he's around. (laughs) I would agree. Shout out to the, uh, to one of the last, I'm still kind of like, I'm like a few chapters behind. But I think one of the last ones I read was the one with the uh, detective guy, whatever his name is, and uh, how he dressed up as like a lion or whatever, and they basically has an excuse to make a bunch of Lion King Broadway musical jokes. <laughs> that chapter was amazing, but anyway. Yeah. Uh, Amanda Haley does a great job with the translation on that one. Yeah, I was pretty blown away, honestly. Um, <laughs> uh, but I think we can just move on to the next series. Bone Collection from Jun Kirarazaka, who I believe is This a- is basically their first manga, looking them up. They really haven't done a whole lot else. Yeah, I was going to say, as far as we can tell, like they seem like a very new artist. So, mm-hmm. so Lum, tell me what Bone Collection's all about. Bone Collection is about exorcists. And Your favorite archetype. a family of exorcists, <laughs> and the main character- Belongs to this family, the Janai family, which is, you know, an elite exorcist family, but he has no talent for exorcism. He's like very bad at it. He doesn't, you know, cast spells well, whatever. His childhood friend is a prodigy. She wasn't born into it, but she's really, really good. And so she always kind of bails him out, shows him up, but she has a crush on him very clearly. Eventually, in the first chapter, he meets Pyra, who kind of, like, falls from the sky, and the sky, like, kind of cracks like a mirror, which is very interesting, but she falls, like, out of the yokai world, I suppose, and Pyra is a 
Agasha Dekuro. Agasha Dekuro is the yokai that is made up of a, the bones, the skeletons of people who die of starvation or in battle. A very ancient yokai, and she's very, very powerful, and she wants to become human, so that's why she went to the human world, and to become human, she needs to get rid of a bunch of the bones in her body. And the main character, Kazami, his only really great skill is to borrow the powers of a yokai, which is a forbidden spell because overusing that power turns you into a yokai permanently. And when he used it as a kid, because he borrowed his friend Kawanoshin's powers, they put Kawanoshin to debt, supposedly. And he was also severely punished on top of that. But in this first chapter, you know, he ends up using Pyra's powers. And then from there, he learns that about Pyra's secret, what she wants. And then they make a deal, basically, that he's going to use up her power in order to turn her human. And then that'll help him with his exorcism stuff, too. The Exorcist Association is caught wind that... Something is amiss, so they seem to be sending, like, very skilled exorcists down to keep an eye on Kazami. And, of course, there is some rivalry, jealousy on the part of Reno towards Pyra because of how close she is to Kazami. And then Kazami's brother gets outed for having a swimsuit fetish, so he becomes Pyra's servant... And those are all the pieces that are kind of been put into place right now. Oh, and they also lie about uh, Pyra to get her enrolled in the school. They say that he's uh, she's Kazami's brother's daughter, and she's 19, even though Kazami's brother is 21. So it's a very flimsy lie, but... I do love how like transparently terrible that lie is, and how yeah, they call but they it bribe about, yeah. the principal with cash, so it's okay. <laughs> that is pretty funny, honestly. But basically, this is kind of Kakaishi light. There's very similar setup to Kakaishi with elements of Ushio and Toro in terms of how. You know, he pulls a spear out of Pyra, and his hair grows longer, becomes a little more feral in form. So it's kind of mixing two classic Shonen Sunday series there, I suppose. But I think what really killed this series for me is just the main character is not terribly likable because he's just obsessed with looking good. Like, even in the flashback where it's exploring how he used Kawanoshin's powers, like, the motivation for using his powers was because other people called him weak. So that's not really compelling justification, but also he's just such a pervert and he's always obsessing over boobs and the way that they get bones from Pyra is that he puts like his hand like inside her body between her breasts and it's just like... Or on her thigh. Or on her thigh. <laughs> yeah. So it's just playing around at being an etchy series on top of, you know, being very derivative of other supernatural action series that have more compelling, you know, hooks and characters, in my opinion. So this one definitely left me a little cold. Like, I don't even think the action 
is particularly memorable or strong in the series. Yeah. There are some funny gags, and I like Pyra. I like her design and motivation. I think she is interesting, but like all the other characters, I'm not very fond of. They fall into very kind of been there, done that archetypes or are legitimately just kind of annoying, especially in the case of Kazami's brother, whose swimsuit fetish is very strange. And then he basically becomes servile to Pyra. And then I want to like Reno a lot, but she immediately just becomes classic tsundere for Kazami and jealous of Pyra, even though there's an interesting character there of like, she was not born into an exorcist family. She doesn't have the benefit of nepotism like Kazami does, but she worked her way up and became a really great exorcist. That's interesting. I would like to see more about that and her motivation. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't really care that all of her character seems to be assessing around Kazami so far. So that's very disappointing. So yeah, this definitely left me quite cold and... It just didn't really do a whole lot to impress me or endear me to the characters in a really deep way. Like, there are some moments where Kazame shows genuine, like, kindness and selfishness. Like, there is a good moment in the first chapter where Pyra asks, you know, what if I told you if I was Yokai, would you still have helped me? And Kazami says, yeah, I don't care. Like, if you need help if we can hang out and be friends i'll help you you know so there's some good qualities to him there but they're drowned out by the perviness and that being a motivation like he in the second chapter he literally weighs the promise of boobs against the consequences of using pirate's powers and the boobs went out in his mind so i at least thought that image was kind of funny but i also agree that i mean well see i don't know actually now that i think about it I don't really, like, feel strongly about the boob jokes because I feel like they're pretty... I feel like most of them are pretty one and done. Like, I don't feel like they linger on any one joke too much. I mean, they repeat it in all three chapters so far. They do, yeah. It's a consistent recurring joke and seems to be very tied to his character and his obsession. And I'm just not that into pervy MCs and also exploitative etchiness. Mm-hmm. No, I I totally agree, and I, I'm not either. I'm just saying I uh, something about them like I didn't really care for them, but at the same time they I don't know if I could say I've seen worse because then that's going to bring up the question. Well, what is the worst I've seen? And I and you know I can't answer that question, love. Before you ask me that question again, you know I can't answer that because my memory is very shitty. But for me, they were just kind of there. I didn't have too much of a hard time just kind of, like, skimming through those, thankfully, but, like, I don't want to completely, like, dismiss it, because I feel like, I feel like there is something here, even if parts of it do feel kind of derivative from other series, like you said, but, like, I don't know, I can't see this lasting too long, personally, but, I don't know, maybe I'll be proven wrong, I don't know. Maybe this will become the next Demon Slayer, guys. Calling it right now. I I find that very unlikely. (laughs) Only the time will tell, but I at least like the idea of like of him pulling like different like yeah, bone see, weapons. That is the out of her, yeah. interesting hook there, right? That's the interesting idea. Yeah, yeah. And so there is potential there, and I do think it is amusing that they can also play around with that idea. It doesn't almost have to be like, oh, 
crazy weapon. Like in the third chapter, they pull out a switch from one of her bones. <laughs> I thought that it's was really good. It's very strange that they have to call a switch a knockoff name. Like they put a V instead of a W. <laughs> a switch. But they can say, yeah, but they can say Smash Brothers. So very weird what they can dance around in terms of mentioning directly and what they cannot. But mm-hmm. I think it is interesting that they can play around with having like her bones be used in, as different kind of tools instead of just, you know, purely combat weapons. Yeah. Personally, I thought the um, the bone sniper rifle almost had me, but they don't really, uh, he doesn't get to use it for more than like two pages technically and even then mm-hmm. it was like one double page spread so he, he didn't use I it mean, for too it was long. a good design at the very least no it looked it looked awesome i just wish i just wish he used it more was the thing yeah and i guess that's really that's probably the only reason why i'm even thinking about continuing to read more of this is because of pyra and her bone powers or whatever mm-hmm. she's easily like the most interesting thing about the series otherwise I really couldn't give a shit less. Like, I think without her, I, w- I would I would not even be thinking about reading this anymore. Yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, I'm not really dating the main character myself either. I mean, I it's a shame because I think there is something good in there with him, you know, being kind to others regardless of whether they're human or yokai. I think there's a, a very likable, very good character trait. Yeah, I mean, it makes him stand out in the world since the other exorcists are all about they, you know, just destroy the yokai, but then he finds, no, there is a middle ground, like, I can befriend them. So that is an interesting idea that puts him in conflict with other exorcists. That level of kindness and empathy he can extend, but it's just unfortunate that it's drowned out by more negative aspects of his character. Yeah. I jokingly mentioned Demon Slayer before, and I'm I'm not necessarily saying this is the exact same thing, but I don't know. I, I felt like that was a very Tanjiro-esque kind of character trait, at least. I mean, that is definitely Tanjiro's... I mean, that is his defining like uh, quality, is that is very empathetic, especially towards demons, whereas the other Demon Slayers are like, no, they're demons, we gotta destroy them in Tanjiro. You know, he extends kindness to his enemies, even if they've done, like, pretty bad things, at least up to a point. Yeah. There's some people he can't forgive, but he does feel bad and sympathy for those that he understands have been suffering as well. Mm-hmm, yeah. I feel like if, if they were to maybe focus on that a bit more, I'd probably like the MC a bit more, but as it stands, I, I don't really care about him too much, honestly. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, outside of that, like, I think the series can have funny gags. Like, as weird as his uh, brother's swimsuit swimsuit fetish was, I can't say it wasn't surprising. It was surprising, I'll give it that. I was not expecting that, so I thought that was pretty funny. Like, you have to give him a reason to, like, not totally rat his brother out. And as far as those reasons go... I mean, I like that Pyra blackmails him and manipulates him into being her servant so that his secret doesn't get ratted out. I mean, again, Pyra's character and personality I quite enjoy. Mm-hmm. I do also think that it is, you know, in concept a funny subversion to have, like, the seemingly straight-laced 
you know, mature older brother type actually have a secret like fetish that he's hiding. So in concept, that is an amusing idea and execution. You know, I just found it a little tiring. That's fair. But I don't know. Yeah, I I don't want to completely give it away. But at the same time, I think we could both agree that Bone Collection is probably the weakest out of this round so far. I think unquestionably, because I enjoyed the other two quite a bit. And this one, I am not enjoying a whole lot. Uh, yeah, like I said, I'm willing to read a bit more of it. But like, I could see this being something I could possibly drop within like another couple of chapters or so maybe they are sending somebody from the uh, from the exorcist association or whatever so i'm some somebody that pyra knows or at least it like sounds familiar to her so like i'm kind of interested in seeing where that goes yeah i mean a lot of these beats remind me of kakashi that's another problem is that yeah this happened kakashi too someone from the exorcist organization was sent to keep an eye on the main characters because they're suspicious or they have their own machinations and stuff. That's probably my thing, too, is I, I've i seen, like, a little Kakaishi, but I've never read it. I do want to get to it at some point, though. I've heard good things about it. It is very good. But uh, I, I think I think we can move on to, I think, what is easily the best one out of the, out of this three. And that is uh, Time Paradox Ghost Rider. Yeah, I think it definitely has the most standout premise and definitely hooks you to really wanting to know where it goes next. This comes, again, from artist Sunihiro Date, who read much beloved series on this podcast, Cross Account. (laughs) Uh, But they're not writing the story this time, so that's the reason why it's a lot more enjoyable. Kenji Ichima is writing this one. I couldn't find too much about their former work. This They might be a newbie, but... Yeah, basically, the premise of this one is is about a struggling manga artist called Tepe Sasaki. He's 24. He's going to become 25 soon. He's very desperate to make the next serialization round, but his work keeps getting rejected by his editor for not being very interesting, for lacking originality. And he just doesn't know what to do or how to change it. His idea is that he wants to make work that other people will enjoy. And that just seems to be his whole mentality, his whole focus. And he's kind of at his wit's end after being rejected by his editor and harshly criticized about, you know, if you just want to get complimented, go back home. And that kind of wrecks him because he's thinking about his life experiences and his struggle. And, like, he's kind of at his wit's end and about to give up. But then lightning strikes his home and it kind of fuses this robot toy that his friend gave him a long time ago called Mirai to his microwave and refrigerator. And this creates some sort of time machine that spits out shonen jump issues from 10 years in the future and he reads the new series on the cover of the shonen jump issue from 2030 called white knight by itsuke aino and he's blown away by it he thinks that the premise is really interesting the characters are really compelling and so he like goes out and screams about that uh, (laughs) in the rain as lightning is falling because he's just so moved that he wants to go back and read again but the comic is gone and he's like oh man was it just a dream a hallucination but then he thinks oh wait 
even if it was, like, I know this story and I know this is a great story. So he decides to draw it himself and he reimagines that first chapter as his own one shot. And he goes back to Jump Editorial and manages to make enough of a fuss that the editor-in-chief of Jump decides to take a look of it and he thinks it's really good and has it published in the next issue of Jump. And that allows him to get a green light to do series. And it seems like things are really picking up in his career. But then when the issue comes out, the artist that would eventually go on to create that series in the future, it's Giaina, she reads like her story being published in Jump and is confused about it and then sees that it was co-opted by Tepe. And so now that's where the first chapter leaves off. And I guess we'll see like what sort of conflict will arise from here between Tepe and Itsuki. Oh yeah, this was this was a really good first chapter. Yeah, it was quite compelling and the premise is very, very interesting. There's a lot of mystery elements to it. There's a, you know, sci-fi element. Like I'm very curious to see like how the conflict between again Itsuki and Tepe will go. Like will they compete by doing series in jump will itsuki try to sue tepe i'm i'm very curious i imagine that there's going to be some element of it that'll lead into like some sort of romance thing which is not the most interesting conflict in my mind but like i think that there is a lot of potential there in terms of like you know he's not drawing his own story so what happens when he has to go to series and like actually expand on this story Because that's kind of the interesting thing about this character is that, you know, his whole idea, he like clearly loves drawing manga, like creating art. He's incredibly good at it. Like he does the insane thing of drawing a new 47 page one shot within 24 hours to show to his editor. Oh, yeah. Which is crazy that if you break that down, that's like he drew a page every freaking half hour. And that's like being generous and saying that he had a full 24 hours. Like that is crazy. That is insane. He's an incredible artist. Clearly are incredibly passionate. But where he lacks, what he lacks is that he doesn't really have like a story he wants to tell. And that's what his editor is trying to tell him. It's like, write something that has your voice in it. You're just regurgitating like stories you think will be popular. Things that you think other people will like. You got to find like the story that you only you can tell but he's not really getting this no matter how many times like his editor is like saying this and he's just taking it personally and thinking no i just gotta keep trying hard i keep have to try and make it something that my editor likes and so he takes his editor's advice and just goes the completely wrong direction in it when his editor says that the characters were boring like he decides to just make them unique and quirky but as his editor says like that doesn't make them interesting. Yeah. And you didn't even go that far into making them weird and different. So I think that there's a really interesting idea behind Tepe's character and that he is so focused on just succeeding and just making something other people like. He's not focused on telling his own story, on drawing and writing what he cares about, what he likes. And he's just not getting this, what his editor is trying to tell him and telling him that is what people want to read people want to read something that clearly has the author's voice behind it not just something that they're just trying to sell to them so i'm 
curious to see when he's going to have that realization, especially now, you know. I'm sure, like, he's going to read and try and regurgitate the stories that he reads in the future Jump issues. And we'll see how that turns out. But basically, it's just plagiarized someone else's story so far. So I think the key to his character arc is seeing him finally get to the point where he knows how to tell his own story and is comfortable in that and not so focused on the attention of other people and living up to a metric of success and this catastrophizing this idea, oh, I'm not a success yet. And so, you know, I will quit if I don't get in this time. Like, if I turn 25 and I'm not published and jump, you know, I'll quit. And I think that is one of the interesting things to me that, like, makes me empathize with the character, but I don't quite like him, is that he's, like, pushing his own frustrations off on other people. Like, he calls his editor and tells him, if you don't see my one shot today, I will quit dry manga. And his editor is like, what? Don't put that on me. Like, if you want to quit, quit. That is not my fault that is not my problem yeah and so yeah i think he needs to learn not to just be so obsessed with validation and just be focused on making the art he wants to make and the stories he wants to write Hmm. i think you put it pretty succinctly i just like the way that the story beats are handled in this chapter like i think despite his foibles and how he goes about his work and everything, you know, like like you were saying, I still found him very sympathetic. Well, yeah, yeah. Even if his work isn't like good, like I still I could still get behind him, and I still felt like, man, I really I really want this guy to like succeed, or I just want this guy to get a break or something. Because we see his journey, you know, from you know yeah. going to a specific manga art school to getting his own place to. And we see his living conditions like this guy has it really tough. And I think it really beautifully leads up, honestly, to that inciting incident where lightning strikes his house and whatnot. And yeah, yeah. this is about to say I quit. And, you know, that is a really compelling hook. And it speaks to something that's true to life. And that is incredibly hard to succeed as an artist. And I definitely resonated with his character in that regard because yeah like he's so incredibly passionate he loves drawing he really wants to be a mangaka and he has gone on this journey but he's just not finding the success he wants and he's constantly feels pressure to be in this place that you know if he doesn't concede he'll have to quit like it is a struggle to keep working at something and not see the results pay off and as like the opening chapter kind of monologue states you know a lot of people you know they have dreams but few actually put in the effort to you know seize those dreams and few people even then who stretch to reach for that dream actually reach it Mm -hmm. and so that is like something that is very interesting to think about and put out there as like the premise for the series and i think that Again, in terms of finding a voice, uh, seeing the voice from the author, like I could totally see a lot of maybe the author's own personal feelings, frustrations, like being explored in this work. And like this feeling of being an artist who has not really found the success they want and just struggling. And yeah, I really resonate with that. I find that really compelling. I think that's like a lot of what 
has made this first chapter has such a strong emotional grounding is that it is based in something really real and really relatable, especially if you're, you know, an artist. And uh, yeah, I mean, again, I think that Tepe's character is really interesting, even though like, again, it's very frustrating how he so clearly does not get what his editor is telling him. But I think that's where the character arc is. And I think it's going to be an interesting one when he works towards realizing like, what is the story only he can draw and tell? Mm-hmm. Yeah, ho- hopefully at the end of all this, I'm hoping, you know, that this series is going to lean into the more sci-fi heavy elements with the time, tra- with all this, you know, uh, time travel and whatnot. I'm hoping maybe we'll lean into that and, you know, he'll go on some kind of adventure maybe that'll like hopefully influence him in his work to create something again, only he can create just something interesting, something with his uh, something that is kind of a part of him. Like, I, you know, a a lot of my favorite manga personally are, you know, from artists who are able to put pieces of themselves in their work. And, like, I feel like the mark of a good series is a series where you can kind of, like, get, like, some kind of read on the person or the people behind the work and, like, people who, like, take their specific interests and kind of, like, use that in their work somehow, like, I find that kind of stuff really interesting. So, you know, maybe he'll he'll learn to do something like that with his work. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, I'm really interested in, like, where the time travel aspect is going to go. Because as of right now, I, I can't really make a prediction, unfortunately. But, like, I'm very ready for Bakuman with uh, with time travel. But hopefully this will be better than Bakuman. Not that Bakuman was all the way bad, but I'm hoping this won't have the same issues that we've had with Bakuman. There's no sexism or misogyny in this first chapter, so already it's off to a better start than (laughs) Bakuman or Cross Accounts, so that is a good sign, and hopefully Itsukiaina is a well-written, respected character and has her own very interesting arc, because I'm very interested in her, because here is a person, clearly, who loves Jump. We see inside her room, and her walls are adorned with issues of Shonen Jump. She clearly loves it. And we see, like, on her floor, like, sketches of stories that she's writing and drawing. And so she sees in this issue of Jump that her story that she's been working on, like, that has been co-opted by someone else and stolen. Yeah, you would be really mad at that. That something that you care about, that you've been working hard at, has been taken by someone else. And so I'm curious to see what she's gonna do. And, like, what the conflict between them will lead. And I think, ideally, maybe they'd work together on White Knight. Probably. I mean, that could be an interesting direction to take it. But otherwise, you know, they could compete against each other. And in competing against her and a new and her own story, he might realize, oh, you know, I can take these ideas from this other person. But then it's so clear that, like my voice is just does not come across in this in just regurgitating someone else's story as it does in like her own original story and so that could be an interesting angle like i'm very very curious about like what the relationship and conflict between these two characters is going to be like Mm-hmm. i think unless he teams up with itsuki i don't see white knight lasting too long in jump yeah i feel like he is gonna run into that problem of of this idea not being, you know, 100% his very quickly. 
Yeah, if he can only tell someone else's story and just repeat that, he's not going to get anywhere with it. But there is an interesting angle to it that, you know, even if he's telling someone else's story, he could be putting his own artistic spin on it in the same way that, you know, Yusuke Murata retells One Punch Man with his own flair. So there is also that angle of collaboration that could bring out, you know, what his best qualities as an artist are. So that could be another cool angle. Like, there's a lot of potential and cool opportunities to this. And personally, I'm not as interested in the sci-fi angle of it so much as the relationships between characters and what the series is ultimately going to have to say about art and artists and the struggle of creating art. So mm-hmm. that is what I think is like the most compelling hook and where I'm really interested to see the series explore and go further with in future chapters. Oh, no, I, I, I definitely don't disagree. When I mentioned the sci-fi stuff earlier, I just meant that I guess I'm wondering whether this is just going to be like a like a one time thing or if like we'll find out more about like, you know, why he's getting jumps from the future. Maybe there's a reason behind it. That could be interesting, but yeah, I mean, he's clearly getting more jumps from the future. The microwave is continuing to spit him out, so that'll be interesting. But it's also interesting that the issue that he had, like, disappeared when he went back to find it. So why are they temporary? There are a lot of mysteries. There is a mystery element to the sci-fi element in this that would be curious to see, like, what the logic reasoning behind is. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm very interested in finding out, like, why this is happening. I think this is basically a combination of, you know, Bakuman Back to the Future, almost. I've seen a lot of people compare it as a cross between Bakuman and Steins Gate. I think there's That's also probably a Steins yeah, Gate yeah. about, like, a microwave that affects time, too. Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay, yeah, that comparison's a lot better, actually. But, uh, no, yeah, I mean... I'm definitely going to keep reading more of this. This is probably one of the stronger first chapters I've read in a while. So I would I would definitely put this up there with stuff like, you know, the first chapter of My Hero Academia for sure. And uh, other first chapters of that quality in, in writing. So, yeah, I definitely think that this was really compelling. And it definitely was a first chapter that left me feeling, oh, man, I want to see where this goes the most out of any first chapter recently. Like, there have been first chapters I've enjoyed recently, but this is one of the rare few that makes me go, oh, I want to read where this goes ASAP. Like, I'm really interested in where the story is heading. Yeah, I I think that's a pretty good marker that uh, hopefully the rest is going to be really good afterwards, so. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah. I think it's safe to say that uh, we definitely recommend this newer series out of the out of the three of them. Oh, I also recommend Mora King if you want a really cute, enjoyable comedy. Again, I really like Mora King as well, but I think this has the strongest start for sure. I think it has the most interesting and unique premise that will catch heads and intrigue you if you like manga about creating manga stories about the struggles of creating art and in general. A series that mixes kind of like grounded character drama with some sci-fi mystery elements. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's going to be about it for that. And uh, overall, I mean, I guess really Bone Collection was really the only one that like I was like the most kind of eh on. Yeah, but Bone Collection was probably the weakest series that we've got in a while, in my opinion. 
even Undead Unluck with its problematic elements had a lot more kernels of really enjoyable stuff in those first couple chapters and has become something quite enjoyable even though I still have issues with some of its problematic elements. But man, uh, Bone Collection really had a lot of things that turned me off from it. And of course, I read everything, so I will keep reading it, but it is definitely the least enjoyable start to a new Jump series that I feel like we've read in a while. Mm-hmm. I'm still going to go with my my like volumes one and two rule where... If I've read at least like a volume or two worths worth of a series during its initial run and I'm still not feeling anything, I'm just, that's going to be a drop for me. I could see Bone Collection end up being one of those, but I'm I'm not as down on it, even though I agree it is the weakest. So I'll give it a few more chapters. I do kind of want to see where it goes, but again, I'm nowhere near as invested in it as I am with Time Paradox, and even I kind of think that Maury King is a little more fun than it also, so this was a pretty okay round. Kind of unbalanced, I guess. Yeah, uneven. Yeah, definitely uneven, but uh, definitely one of the, I don't know if it's a be- one of the, I was going to say it's one of the better ones, but eh, not really. Like, I don't know, it's kind of hard to judge. I mean, I think the last round was stronger i mean i think i like more of the series from that last round see that's that's the hard thing i I already i already forget what was in the last round other than undead national undead unluck guardian of the witch yeah i I guess i guess i'm i feel the same way about this round that i did with the with that last one where it's like i like undead unluck i am liking mashal a little bit more with every chapter and then guardian of the witch boy i dropped that pretty quickly i just it just wasn't pulling me in, unfortunately. I'm like an all street, so I'm going to say that was a, definitely a better round than this one. Okay, that's fair. Like, all three of those series are better in their first three chapters in Bone Collection, at the very least, and on that comparison level. Yeah, I think I would agree with that. We're not done yet talking about new jump stuff, though, because we've got a new one-shot, a surprising, spooky new one-shot from the creator of Food Wars, Yuto Sakura and Shun Saeki, called Yugen's Old Ghoul's Classroom. Seems like the creators of Food Wars took inspiration from the classic Scooby-Doo direct-to-video feature, Scooby-Doo and the Ghoul School but very disappointed that it is not about Monster Girls. Now, this is sort of more like a Hell Teacher Nubay-esque series, I suppose. There's a school that is haunted or succumbs to a bunch of supernatural happenings, and then a teacher comes there and hijinks and helping students solve problems. All that stuff ensues. The setting of this one is at an all-girls school. See, that's where the Pun in the title comes from. Old ghouls, old girls. <laughs> yeah, very clever. But yes, this takes place at the Fabian Private Academy for Girls, a place that is for the most elite and elegant young ladies. And it is a very proper school. But of course, being so high standard, it attracts a lot of attention from the outside. So there are a lot of peeping toms that come around and there is also a lot of problem with the students too having to deal with the pressures of being at the school 
And so a medium who comes into the school under the guise of being the new mental health counselor, Dr. Yugen Tojinbo, and he basically is all about identifying like what's haunting these girls, what's going on with them, what their problem is, and then exercising those. And he basically meets up with a teacher at kind of the main classroom. This one shot is focusing on the chrysanthemum class. And the female leader of the series, Mishiro Sato, is basically a dead ringer for Arina, except with a red hair color and glasses. But her personality and way she reacts to our MC is also very similar. Yugen himself is like a rejected Yu-Gi-Oh protagonist. I'm sure he didn't make the cut because his hair isn't crazy enough. He's basically Asahi Saiba from Food Wars, just a little bit older looking. He's got like these black makeup streaks down his eyes. His hair's a little bit wilder. But he's also just kind of aloof. And his whole gimmick is that he's basically looking for a wife. He wants to find a woman whose shawl shines the most brightly with the purest of light. And it doesn't matter, like, how they look on the outside. Like, we're introduced from the waiver's page. He sees a picture of some guy's wife who's turned into a ghoul. And he's like, wow, she's beautiful. Because he sees what's on the inside. And so... Young or old, appearances don't matter. He's just looking for someone with a beautiful soul. And that's what attracts him to come to the school. Because he knows that the Fabian Academy has, like, the best ladies around. And he's looking for his potential future wife and stuff. And that seems to be kind of the direction that the story would take if it became a full series. Is that at the end of the one shot, the entire class essentially turns out to be missing. It seems they've all become haunted. And so if this were to be extended the series, it would just be about Yugen going around, finding each student and solving their problems. And it might end up being kind of a harem series in that way. Because like the first student he helps in this one shot does seemingly develop a crush on him too. But that's kind of the premise in a nutshell. It's basically an utter exorcism type series, but it's kind of related, rooted in characters manifesting these problems because of, you know, stress and trauma in their daily lives. So it's touching into some relatable aspects in that way for younger readers or anyone who's just had to deal with like the pressures of a really stressful life or growing pains and stuff. Oh, it's got that good hook to it. It's got some interesting action beats to it. Like, nothing too crazy memorable. I like when Yugen, like, crashes through the window. That was pretty, really entertaining. (laughs) Just that dramatic stuff. There's good horror stuff in it. Like, the moment where Mishiro discovers the note that the student Sayeri that has been haunted has left in her locker and she sees like letters appearing kind of out of nowhere on the paper going like I'm sick of this why is it always me I want to quit I want to quit I want to quit and so there's that really good horror direction is that the note like changes with like these bold crazy message of 
like her frustration and then she has a phone call from the family and then she looks behind her just right moment is like this crazy monstrous in the hallway saying you saw you saw and like about to attack her so there's some good horror beats and good action beats and i think it could have potential as a series we know that in the author's comment like Shinseki said, hey, we are prepping to do a new series of jumps. So it seems, you know, a year after Food Wars are already working on the next work. This could be the next work and it could go into full series. Interesting to see what kind of changes there would be in the transition from this being what it is as a one shot into a full series. Clearly, they've written it with serious potential in mind. I think the biggest problem for me is that the protagonist is so indiscriminate in his affections and his interests. Like, I don't really like a series about a guy courting his students, especially underage students. How about we maybe age up the students, make this a college, or age down this dude and he could be, like, just barely older than the students. But right now, it's just a creepy angle that I do not care for. I do find it interesting, I guess, the way that they'll do the fan service moments in the same vein of Fugazin in the series is, like, when every girl is, like, purified of their haunting, like, there'll be kind of, like, a moment where they're exposed, vulnerable. I suppose in this one shot, it wasn't, like, too gratuitous, which I appreciated, but it was kind of strange to me like oh clearly because that's what these guys are known for like these kind of fan service moments these kind of moments where characters kind of become naked in a moment of ecstasy or freedom like that's kind of what they are trying to go with here that's their angle with this series is that when they're purified when like their light inside shines like that's how they will use a fan service moment there so i get that's kind of interesting angle i mean i don't really care for the fan service moments in this context just because like in food wars like it was played off like more comedically so it was a little more palatable like this like there's like a thematic thing that's interesting there but in general i don't really care for fan service stuff so it's still not my favorite thing but i think it is an interesting angle to go with overall i am interested in seeing how this could be expanded to a full series i'm interested in seeing like them uh, continue on to doing the next work and i enjoyed a lot of the gags and character bits i think that the dynamic between mishra and yugen would be really interesting i think that there is really great comedy in the character of mishra i love her gag of like pressing the security button every time like a she noticed a peeping Tom on campus. That was a sequence of really great gags. And in terms of a touching moment, I really like the conversation between Mishiro and Yugen when she has overheard like faculty members expressing their frustration about Sayori's situation and complaining about why they have to deal with this. And then she's like talking to Yugen about, oh man. I was so proud to be a teacher at this school, but it's not really what I thought it was. Like, the students are really pressured. The teachers don't even notice it. Like, she's really disappointed in the school, but Nugent encourages her because he knows that, you know, she still likes this place. She still, this still is a place where she wants to belong and she doesn't have to force herself to say bad things about it. Like, she can do what's best for her students. 
And like the students who are here, they're also here because they want to be here. And so they can work together to make it a better place for them. Which I thought it was a really sweet sentiment. So there's like good character stuff here. There's like a good foundation. So yeah, interesting stuff. Yeah, you kind of said a lot of what I wanted to say, honestly. I thought it was pretty all right. I'm really glad you brought up Hell Teacher Nube because that was like instantly the first thing I thought of after reading this. And honestly, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I guess as far as like turning this into a series, I could see how they would turn this into a series after seeing the hook at the end of each individual student and solving their problems. I could see how you'd make a series out of that. I kind of wonder, I mean, I don't know, Hell, Hell Teacher Nube ran for pretty long, but like, I'm just not sure how much you could really milk that premise. Or I guess the well, premise there's at least 30 students in the classroom, and that's just one classroom to start with. Who knows, they could expand even further beyond to other classrooms in the school, or just do another angle once all 30 students have been introduced and are in the classroom. Like, there could still be problems to explore. So I think, you know, they can go in sort of directions. Uh, I guess you can, could still, like, maybe exercise other demons that, like, don't necessarily have anything to do with their students, just like other yokai, maybe, possibly, or something. Yeah. Just Whatever's like around in the setting, like, there could be other things at work in this world. Yeah. And at this school, too. I'm very mixed because I, I, I think I liked it just fine. Like, I'm I'm kind of caught in the space where it's weird because I don't feel this is, like, you know, obviously not very wholly original, but at the same time, I, I did, I do agree that, like, the action beats and some of the horror beats also hit pretty well. Like, uh, I really, I really did like that moment with uh, uh, Mishiro finding the note in the locker and the demon uh, popping up out of nowhere. That entire page spread of the, of the demon really made my stomach kind of sink a little bit. Yeah, it's like creepy design with all its arms and the weird muscles and it's like bulbous kind of torso that is housing like Sayeri inside. And all the legs like kind of cross together like that on that design too is also very disturbing. Like, just reading this one shot, I'm pretty confident at the very least that Shun Saeki could draw a very well-drawn horror series at the very least. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, like I said, uh, I didn't think it was like super original, but at the same time, I I wouldn't mind seeing more of this. If this were to turn into a series, I would at least like give it a chance. Yeah, I think it's interesting enough to become a full series with some tweaks. Again, hopefully to like the character, you know, being so interested in his students. That's not really something I'm totally a fan of. So again, like affect kind of the age gap there at very least like age up the students to be college age or age him down to be just barely out of high school or something and then it would be a little bit better yeah it it feels a little too gto for me in that sense yeah that was also a very uncomfortable aspect of gto even though onizuka never ended up creeping on his students because they were just too young, but I mean, that was his plan if he got to teach at a high school. Thank God he only ended up teaching in a middle school. I mean, I don't like that that possibility exists at all, even if nothing happens. That's still like, yeah, I just don't think it's very funny at all. 
Well, yeah, I mean, beyond being creepy, it also is not very humorous. But I do think that it feels obvious that the couple, if there is a couple by the end of the series, would be between, you know, Misho and Yugen. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I feel like just generally that's how this kind of series would develop. And it is interesting that, you know, throughout this one shot he never hits on Mishiro like he comments on her soul that like it is ugly right now which is interesting but he like never makes a pass at her which is curious definitely so that would also be something like how would that change as the series develops Mm, I don't know maybe there could be a thing where like maybe she works on her own flaws or foibles yeah, I mean, she has to become more confident in herself and, yeah. like, really shine. Like, right now, she has all these doubts and insecurities about, like, how good a teacher she is. And so that's kind of what's clouding her soul. But once she, like, kind of really puts herself out there and, like, really goes for it, like, I think that is, like, when her soul will start to shine. But, like, there's a setup there in this one shot that is also pretty well established if you were to expand on it further in a series Mm-hmm. for sure but yeah no I, I i thought this was pretty all right i at least thought it was interesting so i would not mind seeing more yeah i think that it has potential and there's just a lot of nice little things in this that makes me want to see it become a series And also, I guess this is just a random comment. I really appreciate how Shinseki draws ties. Like, with Sakasa in Food Wars and now with Yugen, like, there's just something that he does with ties that makes them feel, like, kind of utterworldly and really cool looking. And that's just, like, one thing that I like about his art style is that his design sensibility is really great. Like, even if. Mishiro is basically a copy-paste of Arena with different hair and glasses. <laughs> like, I think that the character designs, sensibilities, the artistic sensibilities are really, really dynamic, expressive, and creative. So that's something I really like about, you know, the art consistently. And just to see what kind of crazier designs that he'd come up with, crazier monster designs especially, what they could do with the action how they could push the action i'd also be interested in reading the series for that as well yeah i mean i'm I'm trying to think i mean do we really have any like horror stuff and jump right now maybe besides like jujutsu kaisen possibly would that be considered like a i horror? mean jujutsu kaisen has some pretty horrific moments so i would count that in terms of like monster designs i think that some of the stuff we're seeing in this one shot you can definitely you know find some also equally horrific and even more horrific stuff in um jujutsu kaisen Mm, i see i was gonna say i uh i I think maybe it might be about time for a horror thing and jump but again jujutsu kaisen Mm -hmm. exists so yeah i mean this would be more of a horror comedy i imagine or i don't know how serious this would go just yet but it seems like i guess it'd just be another action horror kind of thing mm-hmm. i mean again it's like we said it would basically be a modern day hell teacher new bay which i think could be yeah. kind of neat 
considering I I know about how Teacher Nube and I'm like familiar with it, but I haven't actually read it myself, so I don't know like I don't know how well it would stack up against that. That series was more comedic from everything I've seen of it. I've read and watched a little bit of it. That series is more of a comedy. I think this might have more of a dramatic direction as it progresses, especially considering kind of the thematic undertones of it in terms of dealing with young characters like traumas and insecurities and how those manifest as like them being possessed by ghouls and whatnot. But yeah, I mean, again, we will see if and when this gets expanded into a series. Mm -hmm. But okay, yeah, if you've been listening to this episode of the podcast and for some reason you haven't read any of these yet, you can read the first chapters of all of these for free on ShonenJump.com or on the Shonen Jump app. The first three chapters of pretty much every series they have on there are free for people to read, and then basically everything else after that up until... I guess I should say the first three and the last three of any ongoing series are free for people to read. And everything in between that, uh, you'll have to have a subscription if you want to read the backlogs of anything. Which, I can't say it enough, is an insanely good deal. You should do it if you don't already have Shonen Jump. Definitely. It's an incredible deal. There are, like, tons of series you can read the entirety of for just $2, so... You know, definitely invest in that if you need something to read as we're kind of have a lot of time on our hands. I was going to say, go yeah. out and do much. Yeah, especially, especially if you're at home and you don't have much to do, like the Shonen Jump app has plenty of manga for you to read if you're interested. So there's that. But yeah, I think that's going to about do it for our thoughts on on uh, on the latest three jump series. Uh, I can't wait to see what the next round brings whenever that comes out. But uh until then, I think we can start wrapping up the show here by uh, getting into some community shoutouts. Yeah, I want to shout out a recent video from Super Eye Patch Wolf about Outlaw Star, or why you should watch it from him, where he kind of revisits the series and explores what makes it stand out, going over its really unique aesthetic and use of color. I really enjoyed his discussion of color design theory in regards to Outlaw Star and how it made its locations look really exotic and interesting, but also how it uses color to heighten and express different moods and feels of its characters and different scenes. Like, that was really great analysis, but I also appreciated his character analysis and what makes the series stand out kind of on an emotional level about a series about getting over the anxiety to do something and go out and do it. And then I really appreciate, like, his exploration of my favorite episode in the show, episode 15, where Gene has to fight, like, the first guy of the On-10-7 who, like, clearly outmatches him and he's going to kill him. And he's struggling with this idea that he might die and that wrecking him, like, for the entire time before the duel. And then everyone coming together to fight this guy and then working together, like, ultimately pulling them out of, like, a desperate situation. Like, I really appreciated that since that's, like, my favorite episode of that show for, like, the reasons he describes. And overall, he kind of describes, like, what makes Outlaw Star, even though, you know, it is, like, a 90s relic, why it is kind of comforting, kind of, in these fraught times as a series to kind of go back to and kind of reminisce about and enjoy in terms of, like, its themes and keeping a sense of optimism and a sense of comfort and going out 
and not being afraid to pursue dreams. So, yeah, I think that really had a great emotional hook and true line to that video that I really appreciated. Beyond that, I also want to recommend the Nen Show's exploration of Soul Eater. I recently listened to those, and I really enjoyed their thoughts on Soul Eater as they were going through the manga for the first time. And their character analysis was really spot on and on point. And I really appreciate it, especially that they were such big fans of Krona, who I think is definitely the most compelling character in that series, most interesting, that I resonated with a lot, so... I was really glad that they enjoyed the story and that character and their art specifically. I also have an additional shout out related to Time Paradox Ghost Rider. Earlier in the show, we discussed that the writer of the series, Kenji Ichima, this was their first manga, but actually, it's only the first manga credited under that name. And I want to shout out your Anime Guys blog, Manga Crave, where he wrote up a post going into actually the previous pen name of this author. A previously published series going all the way back to May 2014 under the pen name GK Ichima, starting from when they were 19 years old with their first one-shot loser game that won an honorable mention for the 83rd Treasure Newcomer Manga Award. Then they had a debut in Jump Next with their guide manga Gorilla Dining, and then they've actually done several manga after that, most notably a four-volume series called Bokura no Q, which sounds really interesting. It's about a boy followed by a mysterious talking spear that grants regenerative powers or answering its questions about life, and I'm very curious about that. I hope that got translated one day, but it's really interesting. So it seems that Ichima-sensei has been around for a while, and they are going under a different pen name now, and they're not doing the art this time like they have been in their previous series. So I thought it was really fascinating to see that this writer actually has been working manga for quite a while and has roots that go back quite a bit and has done some really interesting stuff. So definitely want to give this a shout out, give this a read, and learn more about Kenji Ijima's previous series, and hopefully... If Time Paradise Ghost Rider does well, we will see those get published. I definitely hope that Boker No Q gets licensed one day, because that sounds really, really interesting. And I think that is about it off the top of my head. And I think now we can head into the wrap-up. All right. But uh, yeah, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. And yeah, hopefully next episode... Uh, will be our episode on a series that took me way too long to get to, and that being Cross Manage from, uh, I want to say, a very beloved artist and manga creator on this podcast, Kaito, who Mm -hmm. most people at this point will know them as the author of Blue Flag that is currently coming out from from Viz Media. And uh, yeah... Maybe stay tuned. We'll hopefully maybe uh maybe we'll, 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 I think we already may have talked about Blue Flag. I don't know. We got a lot of cool episodes coming up here in the future, but uh expect some more Kaito talk pretty soon. But uh until then, uh yeah, we can end the show by plugging our stuff. So Lum, where can the good people find you? 
You can find me at Lone Romeyasha on Twitter and it's Lone Romeyasha at a variety of places like Animation Revelation and Annie List. Wherever there's a Lone Romeyasha, that's there. You can find me. You can read my manga reviews on all-comer.com. We've got a lot of books coming in, a lot of reviews going out, so check out our reviews on there. You can also find the related spin-offs of this podcast that I host and do, like Manga Matters at Movies Lum Squad. And the like, they're all so on all-comment.com and every podcast platform or trace, wherever you find the Manga Matters feed, those are also a part of that. And you can also check out my art at Sid Artworks on Instagram and Twitter, where I basically post my artwork that I've been working on and have done in the past, and you can check that stuff out too. All right, definitely go follow all alum stuff. But as for me, I'm Colton. You could find me on Twitter at SniperKing323. I also host and produce a few other podcasts on the side besides this one, which you could find links to over at my personal blog at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. I basically have a page dedicated to all the podcasts I'm currently doing at the moment, including Life Lessons, the Gintama Manga Cast, which is on a hiatus, but still as well as One Podcast Prevails, which is a Detective Conan slash Case Closed podcast I host with my friend Doctor from the Ask Backwards Anime podcast. And so, yeah, uh, if you want to listen to any of my shows, basically anything else I do, again, you can find links to those shows and more at cultacorder.wordpress.com. As for all comic in the podcast, you should go to all-comic.com. That's where we post every episode first. It is basically the home of Manga Mavericks. And uh, you should subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash manga mavericks, especially if you possibly want early access editions of our podcast. That's right. At the $2 tier, uh, if you sign up for that in particular, you will get uh, early access to basically whatever podcast we have edited, you know, ahead of time before their uh, release date on our main feed, depending on when we have them edited. And so, yeah, uh, if you want to listen to our podcast early, that's the best way to do so. Uh, before anyone else and then we we mentioned at the top of our show uh the five dollar tier where people can uh receive exclusive monthly bonus podcasts for patron ears only at the end of every month guaranteed again our our next bonus podcast is going to be a one-off review about my solo exchange diary from nagata kabi in which we are again joined by erica friedman and uh, yeah, definitely go listen to that if you are a patron. Again, I thought it was a really good discussion. You can listen to that and basically whatever bonus podcast we've done throughout the past year on our Patreon. We have a bunch of bonus content waiting for you. And really, it's the best place to you know support the show and everything we do here. Again, that's at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. As for the rest of our stuff, uh, you can follow us on facebook.com slash all.comic. Or on twitter.com slash allcomic underscore. But if you want to follow Manga Mavericks in particular, you want to follow us on Twitter at manga underscore mavericks. Or on Tumblr at mangamavericks.tumblr.com for all the latest updates on the podcast. Uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash manga mavericks. We post different excerpts of the podcast and whatnot, including some, some bonus content every once in a while. Again, that's at youtube.com slash manga mavericks. Uh, email us anything at mangamavericks at gmail.com. What did you think about all these new Jump series that we talked about? What are some manga that you're reading at home right now? Uh, what, what are some manga that you want to hear us talk about on the podcast? Email us anything about manga or the podcast, and we will read it on the show. Again, at mangamavericks at gmail.com. 
But the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are sold. We're on a bunch of different platforms, including that and Spotify and basically wherever, again, pods are sold. You know, leaving us a rating and a review uh, really helps the visibility of our show. And uh, we we really just appreciate it in general when uh, people leave us... uh, uh, you know, nice ratings and reviews. So leave us a rating and review if you uh, if you have the time. Again, we really we'd really appreciate it. And that's gonna be about it for the show. Uh, this has been episode one twenty two of the Manga Mavericks podcast on AllComic.com. We will see you guys next time for episode one twenty three. Bye, guys. Sayonara. <laughs> <laughs>